Well, a good morning, everybody. How's everybody? Everybody enjoying their preparations for Christmas? Everybody all set, right? Everybody's all set. Gifts are wrapped. Husbands have done their job. Husbands have done all the shopping, the wrapping, right? We, we, all right, I'm not getting any. Maybe not. But maybe the wives have finished everything. So, well, here we are uh, at a wonderful time of Advent, the, the time where we look to, to Christ's coming into this world. We reflect on the themes that we have of, of hope and love, as we have already seen, and joy that we'll look at today, peace and light. Lance started out our, our journey with this looking at peace and, and looking at a lot of the things that were happening in the world and understanding this, this hope for peace, uh, hope that they had for peace. Uh, then Jim looked last week at love, at, at the most famous verse of love, of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us this gift of his son this day. And as we turn and think about joy today, why don't you join with me as we pray to begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather in your name, to open up your word, to reflect uh, on Jesus, your son, Emmanuel, God with us, coming into this world. Uh, Lord, be with us this day as we open up your word. Challenge us, grow us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did want to point out that it's not upper room, but there is some candy up here. Um, so we're going to have a little fun again because, you know, it's just kind of what I do. So here we go. Here's some candy coming out. Oh, I'm just going to hit Theron in the head. All right. This one, here we go. There we go. Throw. Oh, there we go. There we go. And there we go. That's all you get. That's all that's in here. I thought it, unless anybody wants a communion cup thrown at them. I will try it and see what happens. I'm not sure if that's allowed or not. Anyways, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. I just saw candy here and said, it's my fun time of joy to throw out candy to all you in the audience. So, you know, as you think about joy, I think it's important to understand kind of what joy is, right? We talk about joy, we want to know what it is, how we go through it in our lives, and it's kind of in the middle school youth group uh, lessons, we were going through the fruit of the Spirit. So we had just had a discussion on, on the comparison between joy and happiness, and if they're the same thing, and if that's what brings joy into our lives. And as we talked about it, we realized that, that joy is kind of this deeper emotion. It, it's a confidence that we get in, in knowing that as Jesus in the center of our life, that we can endure anything whether we're happy or we're sad. It doesn't mean that we won't have problems, but we look at our problems differently with the joy of Christ. As you go through that, you think about the, the most maybe obvious book when it comes to joy, the book of Philippians, right? How many of us would be happy to be in jail, to be happy to be in prison for our faith? But Paul writes about the joy that he has. He says he rejoices that he is in prison. He has a different outlook on it. He sees God's bigger purpose as him in the center of his life. It's God's plan that brings joy to our lives. And as we'll see today, it is God's plan for salvation, for his son coming into this world, that gives us the joy that we have today. So for a quick little outline of what we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at the passage from Galatians we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to look at our condition in sin. We're going to look and get a better understanding of who Jesus is. 
And, and then at the end of the passage, we're going to see why we have this joy of Jesus coming into this world. What has he done for us that gives us such great joy? But let me ask you a question before we get there. How much joy have you had since March of 2019? Anybody remember what happened in March of 2019? We were in the house and we had a great time of lockdown, right? Well, I was looking and researching this and thinking about the loss of joy and things that we have. And I found a quote directly from the CDC's website as I was kind of looking at the pandemic and how it affected our lives and our thoughts and understandings. It said this. It said, the COVID pandemic has had a major effect on our lives. Many of us are facing challenges that can be stressful, overwhelming, and cause strong emotions in adults and children. Public health actions such as social distancing are necessary to reduce the spread of COVID, but they can make us feel isolated, lonely, increased stress, and anxiety. Anybody been there over, over this last year and a half? Going through all these things that we have been going through in this world. They say like suicidal thoughts have, have increased during this time, especially during the, in the youngest of generations. There is a sense of identity loss, of understanding. The less, the less connection we have with people, the less identity crisis and interactions we have, we lose that with each other. So, so where, we ask the question in this, where is all of our joy? Where is it in all of this? I think it's important, and what's the most important is not to remember who we are, but whose we are. As we look out into the world and understanding what, the, what it means to have Christ in the center of our lives, it's not who we are, as important that as that can be, but the most important thing is we find our identity in whose we are and who we belong to in Christ. And that's where we find joy in this Christmas season. The world's going to throw a lot at us. It's going to try and make us forget all that we've been given in Christ. And to understand this Christmas joy that we have, like I said, we're going to turn to Galatians 4. So turn with me there. And if you know, Galatians has probably been a lot on my mind. If you've been following a lot of the church emails, I've been talking about the book of Galatians. So I want to kind of give us a quick reminder of what's happening here in this book. You remember, Paul is defending the gospel. He's defending the truth of the gospel as he had taught them and preached to them. And then he left and then false teachers came in and proclaimed that there was the law. That the law had to be followed in order for them to be saved. Paul gives a great explanation throughout the book in Galatians of the gospel truth. He'll use examples of Abraham and his belief and the faith that was always the part of God's plan. So as we come to chapter 4, we see the joy that should come into a believer. So I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And as we begin here, we're kind of jumping in to an argument of Paul as he's discussing some things that he's been talking about toward the end of chapter 3. Paul's been talking about them being captive and in prison under the law. He describes the law as a guardian over them. And then beginning in chapter 4, he begins with these words. He says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians or managers until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Such a powerful message, and maybe often you don't turn to the book of Galatians for a Christmas thoughts. But this is where my thoughts were going as I've been studying this book. And as we get into this outline for today, we see that our condition under sin is what he identifies in verses 1 and 2. He's helping us by using an example that they would understand from their modern times. You see, in the Roman world, children, no matter if they came from a wealthy family or sometimes even a poor family, were cared for by slaves. No matter who their father was, the child was still a child under the control of a servant. In fact, the child was not much different than a servant who was watching over them. The master of the house had the way to to guide and to lead this child, no matter what their future inheritance would be. You see, we say you have a lot of the same things today. Uh, Maybe you have a a nanny who cares for your family. They have the same rights to to lead and direct your children. Christy, while we lived in Frederick, spent some time as an after-school nanny, caring for kids. And she had the same rights as those parents in instructing them and guiding them and leading them in the truth. No matter who their parents were, she was the guardian over them for that time. You see, it's in this great sense that then kids want freedom, right? They they want to rebel against the rules that have been placed over them. But God says there is this law, there is this guardian over us, protecting us, guiding us as we have until an appointed time. And then the freedom they would gain as they reach the time when the father says, you are now my son. And that's what we'll see as this picture continues of this guardian. You see, in verse 3 then, he makes the connection to us. He says, not just those who were under the law, but he says, now in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. You see, we were just like those children. We are enslaved to something. We are enslaved to the law, to the elementary principles of this world. The law, it it binds us. It it puts this oppression on us, and we are captive to the law. In Romans 7, Paul is discussing this, and he says these words. He says, when we were controlled by our old nature, the sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. See, the law made us aware of our sin. The law wasn't given for our salvation. It was really to show our need of salvation. The former president of Emmaus Bible College, Ken Daughters, he puts it this way when discussing Galatians. He says, the law wasn't given to prove us holy. It was to prove us sinners. So here we have this law pointing out our failures, pointing out how we just don't measure up. Now, think about if you've seen it in old movies, right? You would see somebody in prison, and what would be around their ankles? This isn't 
a marriage joke. This is a prison thing. The old ball and chain, right? If you see where we're going here. So that's a separate analogy for this. But if they were in prison, they would have that ball and chain around their ankles. And what was that meant to do? To keep them. Keep them from running away. Bind them so that they couldn't be free. In the same way, we are under bondage. We have a hindrance within us. The law continually reminding us of how much we fall short and will never come to full understanding. Now we come to this great Christmas verse. This Christmas verse that falls in the middle of Galatians. And what wonderful news it is. See it again in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, as you're reading scripture, but is a great word to come across. It's a great word to see in scripture because you know something is about to change. Something is different is about to happen in the scriptures that we are reading. So this sin that we are in, this bondage that we are in, this enslavement to these elementary principles of the world, but God is about to act. And in the fullness of time, Jesus would come in to the world as a baby. And that's what he says next. He says, when the fullness of time had come. Now, as you read commentaries, this kind of gets interpreted in a couple different ways. Some people will think it means as the fullness of time, it talks about the, the, the place, the, the standing in which the world was under. You think about it, the Roman world had just been pretty much conquered. It was the Roman Empire. They were controlling most of the known world. Then Rome would build these great roads that, that would connect all these cities and provide safe travel. There was one language widely spoken, the, the Greek language. You, you could speak Greek and pretty much go anywhere in the world and find somebody you could speak with. The ancient gods, some say, were, were losing their hold. The, these Roman and Greek gods were losing their hold on the people, and, and there was a spiritual emptiness in the time. So people look at these things, and they say it was right for the gospel. It, it was the time for Jesus to come that the gospel could spread across the known world because of all that God had done. There's also another interpretation that kind of links it to verse 2, where it says, as it was appointed by the Father, in the same way as a child, at a certain point the Father would say, you're now a man. You now have the inheritance. You now have all that I've promised to you. And in verse 2 it says, now God is ready. The appointed time for Jesus to come is here. I always think through this, and I think about this picture in my head of the angel Gabriel. Just kind of standing up in heaven, sitting, whatever he's doing, flapping his wings, hovering, whatever he does up in heaven, I, I don't know. But I can see him just asking God, now? 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 Now, kind of like a kid on a trip when they're just saying, are we there yet? 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 And God's like, not time. Not time yet. Not time yet. And then in this one moment, Jesus, as he's saying it, he says, it's time. And then he comes down from heaven and he says to Mary, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And in the fullness of time, he is sending his son. 
Now, I know that's not scripture and that's extra. That's just what's going through my head. And maybe your mind doesn't think that way. But there was a moment where God said, now's the time. Go. Announce to Mary what is about to take place. So all this is happening, and now we see our second point. We see who is this Jesus then? It says there that God sent forth his son. Jim mentioned this last week, in sending his one and only son into the world. You know, there are so many in this world today that want to deny Jesus. To say that he was a good teacher, that he was this just great example for us to follow. But you see, that just isn't enough as we look in this passage here in Galatians. Throughout his ministry, he spoke of himself as God. He spoke of God as his father. He performed miracles. And then think about up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he see him in all his glory. And God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And this is the son who is sent forth, as it says. The Greek here is, is awesome. When it says sent forth, it's the idea of sending out or sending away, sending for a, a purpose. And it's cool when you see how it's used in other places in Scripture. In Acts, in chapter 17, verse 4, it says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. They're sending him off on a mission. Or Acts 11.22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They heard it, and they sent for a mission. In the same way, here we have an understanding that God is sending forth his son for a purpose, to accomplish his mission. You know, some people like to talk about the, the Great Commission, right? We have it an understanding to, to go into the world. But somebody says, as, as they were thinking of the Great Commission, they said, that's a good one. But he says, this commission of Christ is the Great Commission. And if you're familiar with, with, with sports, there, there's the Ohio State University. And if maybe you've watched kind of the, how they give introductions before football games, if they went to Ohio State, they always say they went to the Ohio State University. And, and it's actually quite very annoying, but that's what they do. Um, and, and why do they do that? They symbolize to say it's the university. It, it, we're the most important university in Ohio. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying, but this sending of Jesus is the Great Commission, sending forth his son into the world. You see, Jesus has to be God. If he isn't, his death would mean nothing for us. He would have just been a man who died upon a cross. But he died to save us from our sins. And so also in this verse, let's also understand that Jesus wasn't just created. He was already in existence. It just wasn't this thing that happened. He has always been with the Father. The next phrase we see there, born of a woman. In the first phrase, the Son of God, we see his deity. And now we see here his humanity, born of a woman. Here we have this Godhead being born of a woman. Here we have the, the theological word, if you want to think about it, of the hypostatic union. Everybody heard that word before? All right, there we go. Hypostatic union. What does it mean? It means God is 100% man. I mean, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. 
Now, I know you're thinking that adds up to 200%. Even I can do that math. But this is the way that it works. And I was trying to think of a way to explain this because it's hard to wrap your mind around it. So, naturally, I fall back to where I always go. Sports, right? All right. So follow with me along. Remember, you guys know that I love my Orioles and my Ravens. But if you know our family history, I was born in Massachusetts. And when I was five years old, we moved down here. Now, five years old, you're not really a deep, committed fan of anything. But remember, when I moved here also, we had no such thing as the Ravens. So in my spare time of fandom, I, I like to cheer for the Red Sox and the Patriots. I know. Don't throw stones at me. You know, you out sin, throw that first stone. All right? So um, here's how I picture it in my mind. And again, there's no perfect thing in this, but when the Ravens play the Patriots, I'm still a fan of the Patriots, but I lay aside a little bit of that fandom and I cheer for the Ravens. There's no doubt who I want to win when they play each other. When the Red Sox play the Orioles, I, I lay aside that Red Sox fandom and I cheer for the Orioles. And again, I know all these, you know, all these things, pictures kind of break down at some point, but that's kind of the, the vision I have. I'm, I'm a fan of both. I'm completely with both. And actually, it's kind of funny. I'll get mad and upset with the refs when they make a call against the Patriots when they're playing the Ravens. But then when I do it, I'm like, oh, I, I cheer for it when it happens against somebody else. But it's my mind works in a lot of various ways. So that, that's kind of how I understand this hypostatic unit. Maybe that doesn't work for you, but I understand it in the sense that I'm a fan of both, uh, but I, I try and find a balance when they play each other, and that's what's happening here. We don't see how this completely works. I don't know if we're supposed to completely understand. People have written 500-page books in trying to understand how this works. And we see, but we understand that he was human. And we see things like this. We see that in scriptures he was thirsty. We see that he was hungry. We see that he was tired. Scripture talks about that he took naps. We love that part, right? Everybody loves Jesus took naps so I can nap whenever I want to. So there we go. You heard it from the pulpit yourself. Take some naps. He wept and he died. He had to be human so he could die. And then we see that he was born under the law. This links Jesus with the law of Moses. He was a Jew born under the same law. But you see, he wouldn't be bound by it. He would live the perfect life. But you see, he's a God then who understands us, who sympathizes with us, who was tempted with us in all things under the law, but he never sinned. You see, in all this, don't you get this better picture of this is Jesus, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. Remember the words of the prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14 through 15, hundreds of years before Jesus would even be on this earth. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. What a great truth we have here in Galatians chapter 4. And maybe you're seeing the sense of this great joy that we have. We were in bondage to sin. The ball and chain around our ankles. The law always pointing out our failures. 
We think about back to where I began this and the struggles we faced in life. And where is our joy this Christmas? The pandemic, the politics, everything can just wreck and destroy our lives and rip it straight out of us. Maybe you're in here feeling that today, no sense of joy. Well, then consider the words in Luke chapter 2. Remember the angels as they appear to the shepherd, they say, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy that will be for all people. Or consider the words to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it talks about the passage from Isaiah, and it says this is what was to fulfill that. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, Emmanuel God with us. You see, I see two reasons for joy in all this as we look at Galatians and all that we've seen today. And let's see as we read Galatians 4 and 5 again. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, what are our reasons for joy? As we reflect on these things that is weighing us down in this world, we realize that we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed and that we have received adoption as sons into God's family. Let's first think about this idea of redemption. And you see, as we remember back to his example in verse 1 and 2, redemption had this picture of being bought out of slavery, of being freed. A price was paid to redeem you out of the bondage of slavery. That ball and chain has been released. A price has been paid upon the cross of Calvary. Peter mentions this in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, says, Knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inheritance of your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. We weren't bought with just silver or gold. But it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb or a blemish, our sin was covered by the death of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will remind his his readers that they've been bought with a price. They have been bought with the price of Jesus Christ and his blood. He goes on and he says, then therefore live for him. We have been redeemed from the bondage of sin. It is on the cross of Christ that the blood that was spilled is the purchase for our freedom. The ball and chain is released. Second, we get to here with the the adoption that we are adopted into his family. And let's get real sometimes. Sometimes the holidays really are tough for people. Maybe you aren't looking forward to getting together with some of your family. Maybe there are instances of strife and tension as you face coming together as a family. There's hurts. There's broken relationships. There's struggles. Maybe your, your cousin Eddie parks his junky motorhome in your driveway. I just can't believe it. All these things happening around Christmas. But see, the bigger joy in Christ at Christmas is the death of Christ and the faith that unites us as a family in Christ. 
This shows the personal relationship that we have with salvation and with God, and he makes us a family. John 1.12 says, But to all who receive him, he believed in his name. He gave them the right to be children of God. See, however, there is a danger in this as well. Because it says again, but, at the beginning of verse 12, which means something was different before it. And I'm glad you asked, because I know you noticed. In verse 11, he says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own. That is the Christmas message. He came into this world, but his own rejected him. They became children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says those who reject are our sons of disobedience. By nature, children of wrath, not sons of God. So the question is, what child do you want to be? Where is your desire? Are you going to be a child of God or a child of disobedience and wrath? But see, as we get back into God's family, some might be wondering, well, what benefit is there to be in God's family? Well, there is a ton. You go in family feud with all your best friends. That is God's family. How come no one laughed at that one? All right, so here we go with family feud, and we go through these things. We can speak to our Father. We have a relationship where we can pray to our Father, who is in heaven. And you see later on in his passage, says we even cry out to him, Abba, Father. It's a very personal way for us to speak to God. You see, the Jews would have never considered or thought of him as our father. They, they always looked at themselves as sons of Abraham. Sons of Abraham, and challenging him that way, they would have never had this respect and thought of God as a father. Even though throughout the Old Testament scriptures, they're told to think of God as their father. You see, this is what they would even the Jews would strike up against Jesus in John chapter 5 when he would equate them and say, God is my father. This upset them greatly. You know, as a father, I want Ava and Kenzie to talk with me. I want them to share their experiences in life with me. And that's where we see this Abba father. You've probably heard it before where it's this personal, it's this daddy calling out. Daddy, help me. All these things can help us speak to him. It's the same words that Jesus would use in his own prayers. Abba, Father. But it's not just that as an adopted son we get to speak to our father. We also have a father who cares for us. You see, Ava and Kenzie don't have to worry about their needs being taken care of. I want to provide for them and care for them. And God does the same thing for us. He talks about this when we think about being anxious about what we will eat about what we will wear, all, all these things. And he said, but you have a heavenly father who will care for you. Don't worry about these stresses. Don't worry about these things. You have a father who loves you and will care for you and provide you in all things. And as we have seen throughout this passage in Galatians, we have an inheritance. And in 470 says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have the right to an eternal inheritance, which is everlasting, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, kept in heaven for us. As children of the king, we are princes and princesses who will reign with Christ forever over a new heaven and a new earth. 
Isn't that a great and amazing truth to hold to? And then he has given us a guarantee of all these things. How many of us, when we like to purchase, like to see that guarantee printed on the box? You know, like, this thing will never fade away. And if it breaks, we guarantee that we will replace it. Well, God has given us a a guarantee in the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit reminds us about our inheritance. He reminds us of the care that God has for us. And it even helps us in our prayers when we don't know what to pray. The great thing about this passage is how we see the Trinity at work. When we see God the Father, we see God the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit all working within our lives. And if you notice the passage where it says that, it says God has sent the Spirit It's the same idea where he has sent his son into this world. Now he sends his spirit into our lives as that promise of everything. Paul mentions this again in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire and possess it. Praise of his glory. We receive all these things in Christ. The last one I have here, well, next to last one I have is one we don't always like of when we think about maybe our parents is that we often can face discipline. Anybody enjoy being disciplined? That's what I thought. I thought that would probably get a quiet response from everybody. But yeah, we don't like to be disciplined. We have a father who cares for us and who disciplines us. And he really talks about like how he, this is because he loves us, that he tries to get us back on the right track. When we wander off, he brings us back to him. We face his discipline because he cares for us. And why do we do that as parents? We want them to make good choices. We want them to live lives so we take the hard. It is hard sometimes to punish our kids. But we want to set them right. We want to put them on the right track. We've seen the Lord work in all of our lives. And we probably didn't enjoy it a lot of the time. But we know that it was for our good. And he wants to make us more and more like his son. So those are just some of the ways, the things that we receive as being in God's family. We can pray to our father. We have a father who cares for us. We have an inheritance. In the Holy Spirit, we face discipline. But there's one more thing I want to share. And I think it's something that we feel here at Faith Fellowship Church. One thing we get is a large family. As we come into faith, we get brothers and sisters in Christ. As I stand up here, I look out to an audience of my brothers and sisters in Christ. One that we go through life with, that we go through struggles with, that we encourage one another with. And I don't know what your earthly family is like. I don't know the hurts and the struggles that you have, but I know there is a church family here at Faith that loves you, that cares for you, that wants to walk side by side with you in the gift that the Holy Spirit has given us. Many times I have felt that. I've seen it in our small groups. I've seen it in different ways in which we have cared for one another. And it reminds me of Timothy's words uh, from Paul. As he's thinking about the church, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, But encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. He's saying, 
Consider these people in the same way you would consider your family. These are your brothers. These are your fathers. These are your sisters in Christ. I see a church that comes together all under the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be adopted in the Christ family? Worship team, you can make your way up as we begin to close out our service for today. And I would ask you, do you feel this this morning? Do you have this joy in Jesus Christ? I pray that this journey through Galatians 4 would be a time of encouragement. has helped you put the joy of Christmas in your life. There is so much busyness in this world, trying to take it from us, trying to steal our joy, trying to make us forget whose we are. We are in Christ. We are children of God. So as we have seen our condition, we are lost, we are enslaved to sin. But then just at the right moment, God sent his son into this world. And we see that his son, Jesus, the God-man, the hypostatic union, let that be engraved in your mind forever. He lived a life under the law and lived a perfect life and never sinned. And then we see that our joy comes from the life that he gave us. That we have joy because we have been redeemed. Because we have been adopted into his family. And we have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. I hope this understanding helps you find that joy this Christmas season. It's it's the joy that Paul can have when he is in prison. And he says, I find joy in that the gospel is proclaimed even if I am in jail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of Galatians. We thank you for your son that came at just the right time into this world to redeem those who are under sin. That we might receive adoption as sons, Lord. And that we can come before you in this right now as we are right now praying before you, Lord. That you hear from us, that you care for us, that you love us, that you provide for us, Lord. Lord, I pray if anyone doesn't understand this, this redemption, this forgiveness of sins, that they wouldn't leave this room without talking to somebody and finding Christ, Lord. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.